0: This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's Salem, dot org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us to hear preaching and to take the Lord's Supper, and these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon, and as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. Romans, and uh, this evening we come to uh, the most important passage in Romans, I would say, and not just me, uh, Martin Luther would agree, and uh, he called it the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and of the entire Bible. So in Martin Luther's estimation, uh, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, uh, this is the most important section of the entire Bible, so that should make your um, your ears perk up. And um, the reason that it's so important is because it's it's the clearest laying out of what the gospel is. So if you're listening in tonight and you're a little bit fuzzy, you're not quite sure what Christianity is all about. Um, this is I'm about to tell you what it's about. Um, so Paul has spent two chapters, kind of as a prosecutor, and he's been. Uh, laying out there the the, the the sins of the world he's trying to essentially show people um that um we have uh, all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god which he says in this passage we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and um and so we live in this this world that just is bereft of god's glory which is which is lacking it's the vacuum of love we uh he said first he said all the Gentiles. Uh, are in that boat and then he said all the jews are in that boat everyone's in the same boat it's like a, we're under the dominion of sin is what he said <clears throat> and totally captive to it and just as our you know our country right now is in a place of such hostility and tension you can feel that in the air um paul would say the entire world is in this place where we cannot get ourselves out of this place and then he says and this is the turning point in verse 21 but now There's a lot of those in the letters of Paul. There's a but God or but now. And this is where we see what the gospel is. So all of that is the bad news, and this is the good news. In spite of the fact that we live in this world, this kind of soup of hostility and anger and animus and oppression, uh, Paul says, but now, verse 21, God has shown a way. It's not a human way. This is a way that God has shown to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. So without us being even loving or even becoming the slightest bit loving or moving even a step towards being loving, God has found a way to make us right. So that's the first point. Uh, The second point is that he does that the way that he makes us right without our doing anything at all. Even as we remain hateful, sinful people, uh, it says he makes us right because... He presents Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. So 21 and 25 are the two key verses. And if you don't know anything else about the Bible, know those two things. That God has found a way to make us right apart from anything we do. And he did that by sacrificing Jesus for sin. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that that sacrifice is not an angry father um, like beating up his son Because he's got to get his anger out on somebody, and so he finds his son, and he 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 like he hits him to get all his aggression out that he really had towards all of us. That's a really bad misrepresentation of what it means for Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. So I just wanted to say that before we get to that point, Um, that is not what he's talking about. You you may have heard that growing up, but that's not that is not what he's talking about here. So I want to look at these two things: being made right with God, and then we're made right by the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. So, first of all, as I said in verse 23, Paul says everyone is not right with God. Everyone is, has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. What is God's glorious standard? It is, it is his love. It is the love between the Father and the Son, and then the Son's love for the Father. <clears throat> it is the spirit between them that is love itself. This is who God is. This is the glory of God, and this is what makes the universe you know, spin around. This is what causes everything to move. This is what brings life to everything, is the love of God in himself. You can almost describe it as a reverse black hole where a black hole pulls everything in and destroys it. God is the one who's making everything come to life and making everything move in the whole universe, his love. And what Paul is saying is that uh, we experience this world as a violation of that love, that in this world... um, that experience of of the lack of love or anti-love is just shocking because the world was made for love. We were made to love. He is love. And so uh, the world has fallen short of that standard. And if you've you've ever remember when you were um, first kind of rejected, when you first experienced that lack of love, maybe as a child, could have been by your parent, uh, could have been by a sibling, could have been at school on the playground, but it's just shocking because that's not what we were made for. And, um, I remember, uh, personally, um, in school, this was actually a little later in school, but I remember a, um, a bully, one of those bullies, he might've been a football player, but he intentionally ran into me to impress, uh, the girls. And he knocked me, uh, he, he knocked my locker into me. So I, I fell down and spilled my lunch on the floor and my, I remember most of all my Coke, my glass bottle of Coke. Uh, which they probably would not allow in school anymore. But that hit the ground and it, and it shattered and the, the coke went everywhere. And, um, and of course, uh, the girls started laughing. So that was an experience I had, a violation of love. Um, but then that wasn't the only reality. I also violated people's love. Um, we are all both victims and perpetrators of this. I, I remember another incident in, in school where there was this incredibly kind chemistry teacher named Mr. Hunter and um, he had a hearing aid because he was a little older. So we would uh, like pretend we were speaking and had a question, we'd raise our hand and like mouth things so that we weren't actually (laughs) saying the words and he would come really close and he'd turn the hearing aid up and then we would like scream out the question right in his face and we all just, you know, busted out laughing, we thought it was so hilarious. And um, you know, both of these experiences just show that we both, um, we are violated ourselves and we violate what is the universe's glorious standard? The glory of God, which is love itself. And uh, if you've seen the new movie Emma, it's it's just come out. It's one of those movies that came out, but it couldn't come out, so it just came out on iTunes or um, Amazon. So anyway, it's, it's a new movie. It's a it's a it's a book by Jane Austen, and there is a scene in there about the violation of love uh, that is that is a very ordinary kind of violation, but it's a very very powerful scene. So Emma is this uh, what Jane Austen calls a beautiful, clever, rich young woman with a comfortable home and a happy disposition. And so she's on top of the world. She has a very high social standing. She has a friend, Mrs. Bates, who has a very low social standing. She's, uh, she is someone who's poor, and uh, she's very few prospects for marriage. She's kind of awkward. Um, and there's a party where, where, where Emma's there and Mrs. Bates are there, and Emma sees a chance to, um, to make this witty and amusing comment at the expense of her friend and kind of makes fun of her for being dull and talking too much. And Emma thinks she's being so funny and her friends kind of half laugh at her. But you see the camera turns to Mrs. Bache and you see the anguish and the shame on her face as she kind of stumbles around trying to find some kind of self-deprecating words to, you know, to, to, to save face. And uh, I love how Mr. Knightley um, is kind of the guy who is, that's the, the person that Emma kind of likes, and he kind of likes her. And, and he comes to her, and he says, Poorly done, Emma, poorly done. And it's just a really powerful scene of the violation of love in a very everyday way. And the point I'm making is that there's this chasm between us and God, like, like the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's this gigantic, massive chasm between us. And if you've been to the Grand Canyon, there's a South Rim and there's a North Rim. People don't realize this, but on the South Rim, it's like an arid kind of desert. um, And there's not a lot of life there. And that's where most people go. There's also a North Rim. And I couldn't believe it when we got there. I looked over and there was snow on that North Rim. I could not believe it's actually at places over 1,000 feet higher than the South Rim. And it's got a totally different climate. And I'm just saying that it's like we have these two different worlds and we're down here in this scorching heat, and God's up here in this land of love, and something happened in the history of the universe where this chasm developed. And think about humans trying to build you know, a road across that, that canyon. I mean, it's it's 18 miles wide, and it's 270 miles like from one end to the other. And we're talking about a mile down to the Colorado River below. So even to begin to try to start one piling. You know, we're going to start a 6,000-foot piling, and we're going to make our way over. I mean, that's the attempt of humans to kind of bridge this gap and through our effort and our goodness and our virtue somehow make it over to the other side. And it's just, it's a hopeless attempt. And what God is saying in this passage is uh, that I am going to to make a way. I'm going to do it myself. And so the, the crazy analogy I thought of is what if... Uh, I love zip lines. Uh, so, what if, like, somehow these two giant hands came down from the sky, and on the south rim was a nine hundred foot or thousand foot tower, so that you could kind of slope down to the north rim, and uh, you were strapped in, and you could just fly over those eighteen miles, you know, really comfortably, just barely hanging onto the bar, and that that wild ride is what we sometimes call uh, justification or being made right with God. And it's by faith from the beginning to the end. It's, there's nothing you do in that process of being justified. And sometimes it feels like I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm looking down a mile down, and it's terrifying, but that's what the life of faith is, is just God holding you the whole way, doing everything, and not just at the beginning, but like you know, nine miles in, it's still him all the way to the end. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful ride. It's a scary ride, but it's a wonderful ride. And um, that happens because um, of this unthinkable sacrifice, which I'll talk about now for the rest of the time. Um, this is the greatest mystery in the Bible, and I would say in the universe. And I rewrote this second section probably 12 times. And I'm reading a book called The Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge. Uh, it's an amazing book about the cross. And it's just really, this, it's kind of, I, I can't, Figure this out. Like, I I still don't know exactly what I think about the cross. So many things are going on on the cross. But we we do know that Jesus made a sacrifice for sins. And uh, the Greek word is hilasterion, sometimes translated propitiation, sometimes expiation. There's a big debate about this. But what Paul says is very clear is that people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for them. You don't have to understand what happened there, verse 25, but you do have to believe That the sacrifice was made. And that something happened in the life of God where a, a gap developed so that we could be brought into that life. God made this sacrifice. And this son, see, it's not the father like beating this passive son who doesn't really want to go through with this. It's the son says, I want to go down there and I want to make it right. I want to fill in that canyon of love. And the father says, I am with you on this son, and we will do this together. I am going to give you up. I, I am, it's going it's to destroy me. The way Abraham had to give up Isaac. I am going to do this because I, I love them so much. And they agreed to do this together. And this is the, this is the essence of Christianity, is that this God is, is out there. This is the creator. This is the one that made you, that knows you. Uh, this is the universe we live in. And it's not just in the Bible. This is, this is woven into our hearts because I was just thinking about songs where uh, there's some line about I would give anything. And I actually just Googled I would give anything. I knew there was some song out there. There's one by Meat Loaf, and that was not the song I was looking for. <laughs> I would give anything for love, but I won't do that. Um, that's not a good example of it. But when I typed in I would give, it came up with I would give you the world. Uh, I'd give it all up for you. I'd give my life for you. I would give anything I own, my heart, my home, just to have you back. And you could go on and on and on. But there's something about love, and we know this, even with romantic love, that uh, there's this self giving that is like right at the heart of what love means. And we are inherently moved by sacrifice. Um, When somebody gives you a huge tip, when I was a waiter and someone gave me like a $100 tip, it wasn't just about the $100. It was just, you're just moved that this kind of thing happens out there in the universe. Uh, when a stranger gives up his seat for you at a, at a game or on, a, on public transportation, or a friend that uh, you don't even know that well helps you to move in, these kind of things, these little sacrifices, they're very moving. There was a lady, um, and I don't know if Linda Capillary is watching this, but it, it's you, Linda, and she gave us a date every Wednesday for three hours when our children were little uh, for five years. And I, the, the, the benefits of that for our marriage are incalculable. And, and it wasn't just that we were getting that time off. It was that Linda was doing that. It was what was so beautiful about it. It was very powerful. Now, if you add this other element in, that power becomes nuclear. And the other element is that we don't deserve it. And so imagine if the person who tips you $100, you had ignored that table and you had expected nothing. You know, you didn't do anything right when you were waiting on that table. Or what if the person who gave up their seat, you had just insulted them in some terrible way. You had made this terrible slur against them and they gave up their seat anyway. Or what if um, the person that came to help you move in, you had just sent like a horrible text to them, a friend that you had just blasted by text. I mean, this is what we're talking about with what God did, the sacrifice of Jesus and so what is being proposed here is that we live in an entire universe where uh, these little sacrifices for the love of an enemy um, they're not just rare occurrences, they are what the whole story is about. That is what the universe is all about. that's the central point of the whole plot. but now, you know that's what changed. Everything. And so if you can imagine, this is kind of the, the only point of application of the sermon, but someone you're angry with right now, uh, somebody that you think doesn't like you, usually we think someone doesn't like us for some very sketchy reason, very small amount of evidence, and then we stop liking them because we think they don't like us. So there's, think about the person that is annoying you, that you don't like because you don't think they like you. And now just think, what if my aspiration was to bless that person? Um, What if I joined in what the universe is all about and I gave myself for that person? I did something for that person, maybe anonymously. I mean, that would be joining in to what God himself is like. And in particular, in this case, Jesus. This is what his ambition, this was his secret ambition. um, To quote Michael W. Smith, his secret ambition was to Enter into a violated world, a world without love, a world opposed to love, and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to go down there and make it right. Can you imagine a political candidate today that says, I'm going to go and make America right. I'm going to set this right. I'm going to bring these people together who hate each other, and I am going to, going to bring unity and love. That is not even close to what Jesus came and accomplished in the most heinous violations of love. And I finally brought myself today to watch the video of George Floyd. And uh, it's really, really hard to watch. And so I don't know if I would say you should or shouldn't. In a way, I think it's important to, to just know what's going on. But this man uh, is doing nothing. He's in his car and he's pulled out, he's, he's handcuffed, and then he's put on his stomach you know, on the ground and the really scary thing about it is that these four guys that are doing this, they are law enforcement. So this is this is the face of justice in our country. And um, one guy has his knee pressed against the man's neck, George Floyd's neck, for eight minutes, just pressed hard into the ground. And you know that it's racially motivated, which is also incredibly scary. And um, when justice itself in a supposedly enlightened country, you know, a country that we have really worked hard on becoming a just place where people are given rights. We've tried very hard and done great things. But when that is happening in 2020, you think, you know, if justice itself becomes a perpetrator and a violator of love. Then who in the world is going to make this right? And that's what Jesus does. And it's an, it's an amazing thing that in the story of the coming of the Son of God to rescue his people, Um, he is also unjustly handcuffed, tied up. It's amazing if you read the Gospels how much of the time is spent describing this one event. It's like the Gospel writer said, we've got to put that in there. That's what it's all about. So almost like the second third of all the Gospels, I mean the third third, the final third of the Gospels, is spent describing what happens to this totally innocent minority, this Jewish man in a Roman culture where the Roman legal system, which was the greatest legal system invented up to that point in the history of the world, highly, highly developed, that system is now perpetrating the most horrible violence, the violation of love against this man. And this man is God who has come to redeem people. And so, you know, human law slaps God, spits on God, mocks him, hail king of the Jews, he healed others, let him heal himself, if you're really the son of God, come down from that cross. I mean, on and on and on. Uh, the, the human law tortures him and crucifies him as a capital punishment, as a, as, a, as a man of treason. And we know that all of this happening is love itself bending down to the world and scooping up all of our horror, all of our violations, and drawing them into himself and in doing so obviously all the violence is piercing him he's bringing all of the injustice and the violation into himself and sometimes people think that justification uh means that god makes this legal declaration like he's like a judge just striking a gavel you know so ordered um, that it's just this it's just a, a legal declaration but that's obviously not at all what's going on it's this is suffering love and the desire of suffering love to have us, and to have us without turning, without turning a blind eye to all of the injustice. That's that's the amazing thing that Paul says here. Verse twenty six and 28, uh, Verse twenty six really goes into great depth about this. That he must, he must save us and remain fair, and remain just. So as he's making sinners right, he has to. Someone has to receive the penalty and, and the violence, and he chooses to. And so it says he is both the justifier in verse 26 and the just one. So he is justly justifying unjust people. That's what the sacrifice of Jesus for sin means. And I'll just end with this uh, illustration. I thought about what happens when you, you, know, when you, when you coll- collide these things together. The just God reconciling to himself unjust people it's uh it's like this big reaction this massive reaction is happening on the cross and i saw uh, at volcanoes national park i saw lava going into actually coming off a cliff and dropping a decent ways down into these violent crashing waves it was it was one of the most incredible things i've ever seen in nature this you know you've seen lava that dark molten red liquid just pouring down and then this Pounding gray surf is coming up, and when the two collide, you hear this sound, this hissing sound. And all the steam is just covering all the people watching this. And as that is happening, you actually see land forming. This is how land was formed, when lava hit water and began to crystallize and harden. And what I'm saying is that God making sinners right with himself is, has that kind of power, that kind of reaction. That's what we see on the cross, is... Love himself being crucified for violators of love. And once again, we, uh, we come to a place where we would love to, to do this and to receive the sacrament. And we, we plan to do that very soon. So praise God for that. But for now, we, we wait um, and hope and long for that day when we do that. So uh, let's continue our worship by singing this last.